Well, hello, Harvest Community Church. How are you guys doing today? Yeah, man, we got some, some kids in the service because it's Family Church Sunday, right? We're looking forward to that. I know we're having that in Indiana. Hello, Indiana. PVC, how are you guys doing? Did you guys all have a good Christmas? Yeah, some of you look like you got the Christmas hangover, right? Like not from drinking, but just from, well, hopefully not from drinking, but like from just too much like fun. Is there such a thing as too much fun? I think some of you look like you've tapped out. I'm probably one of them, man. We've had an enjoyable week enjoying the Lord, loving one another. And um, last week, if you were here, we took a break from the book of Mark, right? We took a little hiatus. But today we're going to be back in the book of Mark. And uh, for those who are expecting Pastor Mike, hang in there. He's, he's still doing some good work in a different part of the country. And uh, God willing, he'll be here the first part of the new year when we start a new sermon series. So you're going to want to make sure that you come, that you're here that you're a part of that. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, essentially, it's, it's how to have a sane mind in a crazy world, right? And it's called the heavenly-minded man. So make sure that you come out to that. But for today, we're still in the book of Mark. And, and if you've been thinking about it, man, the book of Mark, we have been on a wild ride through chapter 5, if you think about all the different things that have happened, right? A few weeks ago, Jesus displayed his power over the forces of nature, if you remember, right? He told the storm to knock it off, and it settled down instantly. And then two weeks ago, uh, we heard about Jesus casting out a legion of demons. They ran into some pigs and over the cliff. And, and today, what we're going to see... now. In those couple of weeks, Jesus, you know, he really flexed his muscles and showed his authority in a mighty way. And today's going to be the same way, but it's much, it's much more tender in how Jesus is going to display his power. And, and, and what you're going to see is he's going to heal someone of a chronic blood disease, right? And he's going to raise a little girl from the dead. And so this is how the chapter 5 closes out. What we see is Jesus is revealing more and more of who he is. He's, he, he's reversing the curse, in a sense, and, and bringing hope of the, the, res, the restoration, the resurrection of all that has come into this fractured world. He, he's showing that the kingdom of God is here, and he's showing it through different miracles. And that's where we pick it up today in Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 21. We're going to work our way down through the whole chapter, but we're going to start in verse 21 and just work our way through. So follow along with me, Mark 5, 21 through 24 to start us off. It says, And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be well and live. And he went with him, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. All right, so, so, so get this. Like, if you remember, Jesus, they went on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. That's where they came in contact with the, the demon-possessed man. Now they're back on the Jewish side, and soon as he gets off the boat, he is met with a ton of people again, right? Well, it doesn't talk about the trip back, but we're hoping that it was smoother sailing, right? And that Jesus got some much-needed rest, because he's going to need it, as we can see here. He is met with need by a bunch of people, and one man in particular, right? One of those men, his name is Jairus, right? He's, it says a ruler of the synagogue. 
What is that, right? What is a synagogue? Uh, essentially, it was, it was a building designed for worship. It would be like what we would call our church building now. What would happen there? Well, they'd read scripture. They would pray, right? They would have a worship service in a sense. And, and he was a ruler of the synagogue. Now, now, what does that mean? Well, this is someone who cared for the building, right? They, they made sure that all the needs were met for the building. They would organize and they would schedule services in the synagogue. And so we can assume, rightly, that Jairus is he's a well-known and respected man in this particular community, right? People would look to him. They would know him. But none of your status, none of your reputation matters at all when your daughter is critically ill and when she is dying. Now we know from the the Luke's account, right? We know from Luke's account, this is his only daughter, right? So I I want you to think about that, right? This is why this man, who knows how long she's been ill. Maybe it's been a couple of days. Jesus is coming back over. He's been waiting for Jesus to return, no doubt. Finally, Jesus steps off the boat and he meets him. He throws himself at the feet of Jesus and begs for help. Do you feel the pain, the desperation in this plea of help? I know I do, right? I do. Because it's only been like a New York minute ago since my daughter was 12. She's 14 right now. But I picture what this man must have been going through. I have one daughter, right? And, and if she was critically ill and she was on her deathbed, I can imagine I'd do anything within my power. And, and I know Jairus is the same way. But he's realizing he can do nothing in his power. He needs a power that that doesn't come from him. This is why he finds Jesus. His heart is breaking. He throws himself at his feet. He's desperate for a miracle, and he goes to Jesus, and Jesus goes with him. This is our first fill-in-the-blank on your map. Jesus is never too busy to minister to those in need. that, That might not strike you. Um, as something new. It's probably not new to you. It's not new to me. But I need reminded of this, right? Maybe this is where you find yourself today. Maybe you need to be reminded that, that we have a God of compassion. We have a God who, who ministers to those who are in need. He is a good God. And, and maybe you're in great need right now and you need to be reminded you have a compassionate Savior. Be like Jairus. Be like this man who cast his feet at Jesus's and essentially submitting himself. I need you. I have no chance apart from you. Will you help me? See, he not only hears us, but he comes near. He comes towards you. You, you might have said something silly or foolish in your time of, of wanting to go to God, but saying, ah, so insignificant. I mean, seriously, like, like God's too busy. He has too many other things to be doing. He doesn't need bothered with my little prayers. And, and might I say that, yeah, God is busy in the world. But God is also like all-powerful, right? So you're never going to bother your heavenly Father with your request, right? Never. And so you've got to be reminded that you must pray boldly. Right? This is exactly what this man's doing. He's gone before Jesus and he's saying, I need your help. He's praying boldly, but he's surrendering completely. He knows that if you don't do something, Jesus, this doesn't end well. And maybe that's you. If it is, man, be reminded of James chapter 4, verse 8, where it says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Right? Do you see that, that we're commanded to do something here? We're commanded to draw near to God. But it's met with a promise. 
And that promise is that if you do, if you will humble yourself, if you will draw near to God, that he will actually, in his kindness, draw near to you. How do you draw near to God? Now, like here we can see it, right? Drawing near to Jesus in the flesh. What's that look like for us now? Right? Because I'm guessing that like Jesus ain't just walking around with you. Right? He's in heaven. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He's ruling and reigning. He's interceding this relationship between the Father and us. So what does it mean to draw near to him now? Well, we draw near to God through his word. This is where we get to hear from God. Right? The whole Bible is the inerrant word of God. And so we, we read this and we hear from God. And, and then we seek him, not just through his word, but also through prayer. And in community of other people. Right? We need to be encouraged by God's people. And so we, we get in his word. We get in prayer. And we let the word of God inform our prayer. So that we know who we're drawing near to. And we do this in community of other believers And all the while, we're seeking to obey. As we see in the scriptures where it says, draw near to God, we do that. And we know that God is a good God. He's a true God. Therefore, he will draw near to us. Right? Now, here's the thing. Him drawing near to you doesn't mean that everything's going to get better for you. Sometimes it actually gets worse. Sometimes it doesn't get better. But what we're promised in the word is that God's grace is always sufficient for you. It's always good enough for you. Like, like we see this over and over in the scriptures that, that circumstances don't always change, but your God will supply you with everything you need to do according to his will because he is a good and holy and righteous God who loves to help his children. Now, let's see how it turns out for Jairus. Let's pick it back up in verse 25. It says, and there was a woman. So, so we see right away, something's changed, right? They're working their way through the crowd. And it says, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garment, I will be made well. So, so get this, man. Like, so, so Jesus is going, and, and he's going with Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue. But as they're going through the crowd, they are met by a woman, right? Jesus is working his way through the thickness of the crowd in order to help this man's daughter. And in the crowd, there's a desperate woman who, who has been suffering from a blood disorder for the last 12 years. And I want you to think about that. 12 years of suffering right? Like I have suffered like for a week with the flu this year, right? And, and I'm thinking, oh Lord, could you just come now? 12 years, 12 years. How desperate must she be when she hears about Jesus and all that he's accomplished and all that he's done? She's thinking this is my last chance. I have no hope left, but there's a glimmer of hope. And it appears as though this woman wanted to go unnoticed. And this is why she reaches out her hand in the midst of the crowd in order to touch Jesus' clothing and hopes that she will be made well, trusting that if I just touch his garment, I will be made well. And you've got to think, like, why did she approach him like that, right? Like, why not boldly like Jairus, right? Well, you've got to remember, right? You've got to remember that according to the old covenant law, this woman would have been declared unclean. It, forbidden to even come around and to touch 
people because then they would be made unclean. This woman has been unclean for 12 long years. I mean, this has not only stolen her health, but essentially it's stolen her entire life. This woman is much like the leper that we had seen, you know, a few, a few chapters back, or even the, the demoniac that we had seen even in this chapter. They're isolated, they're alone, they're without help, they're without hope, and all of them, all three of them, the leper, the woman with the blood disease, and the man who was, you know, he was possessed by a legion of demons are beyond all human help. And they're in need of a miracle. And just look at what this poor woman has gone through in her time in attempts to even to be healed, right? It, it says she has suffered greatly by many physicians. The people that were supposed to help her were actually making it worse. Not only that, but she was going broke trying to get well. They were taking her money. They were taking her health. They were essentially taking her life. Nothing's getting better for this woman. She's desperate. So in a last-ditch effort to be made well, she reaches out to touch Jesus' clothing because she realizes, he is my last hope. And she does. And look what happens. Look at verse 29 with me. It says, And immediately the flow of the blood dried up, and she, she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. What a wild moment that would have been for her, right? And Jesus, perceiving in him that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, I love this, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Man, this is, this is beautiful. Right? This, picture this scene. Right? She comes up, she touches Jesus' clothing, and the blood flow ceases. She is healed. But the reason this, this picture is so wild is because normally if, if someone who had a blood disease or a blood disorder would come up and touch someone else, they would actually become unclean. But that's not the case with Jesus. No, instead of her making Jesus unclean, he makes her healed. He makes her clean. And he doesn't, he doesn't become unclean. Why? Because he's perfect. Man, I love this. This is... This is not where the wild scene ends, though, right? Because what Jesus did in that moment when this woman touched him, he, he realized that power had left him, right? What's that even feel like? What's that look like? I have no clue. But then he does the unthinkable or the unimaginable, and he immediately stops. He stops just in the middle of the crowd, and he's like, someone touched me. Now, I went, where's he headed? Do you remember? He's headed to go help a young girl who's dying. What's her daddy thinking? What's Jairus thinking? Like, like I'm thinking he's like, hey, yo, Jesus, come on. Like, hurry up. Can we, can we get there? My daughter is ill. She is dying, right? She, this woman's been suffering for 12 years, right? Like 12 more minutes isn't going to be a thing to her. But could you hurry? Because my daughter might not have 12 minutes. Let's get there, right? That's, I'm thinking that's what he's got to be thinking, but Jesus stops. He just stops. And he, and he asks the question, who touched my garments? I mean, and the disciples, man, they're hilarious and awesome. 
They state the obvious by saying, essentially, um, Jesus, who hasn't touched you? Have you noticed the crowd? Everywhere we go, people are bumping into you. You're like one of those little balls that are going through the little arcade game. You're bouncing off of everybody. But notice, not everybody that's touching him is getting healed. This woman is. This woman is. Like, it isn't like if you know Jesus just bumped into you in the mall, like all of a sudden you had a cut on your arm, and you're like, whoa, it's gone. It's not like that. No, like this woman went seeking him in faith. And she touched him, and she was made well. See, Jesus is not going to let this go. He stops, and he asks, who touched? He's insisting on knowing who touched him. And it makes me wonder why. Right? Like, why? What's the big deal? Just go to this girl's house. Like, she needs your help. And it's possible. It's possible. I don't know. The Bible doesn't say that Jesus doesn't want this woman to think something superstitious has happened. Right? Like, it's possible that she thought, like, if she'd just be healed, if she would touch Jesus' clothing, like something magical might happen in that moment. Like, maybe he washed his robe in essential oils, and I just got to touch him. Right? Like, I get the healing I need. And Jesus is going to have that. It appears as though Jesus is not cool with people just coming to get a miracle without getting what they ultimately need, which is a relationship with him. She needs much more than just physical healing. She needs healing of the soul. She needs Christ. And Jesus wants her to know it. He wants her to know that her faith is what healed her. Her faith, right? Now make no mistake about it. Right, like this does not mean her faith in and of itself is what healed her. No, Jesus healed her, right? Like you could believe that if I just like ran up and touched a birch tree, like this thing's going to heal me. You could believe it. You could believe that 100%. But I don't care how long you you hug the tree. It's not going to heal you because it doesn't have the power to do that, right? Like I remember going to a rehab center once a week to teach the gospel to people who wanted to come in here. But this is a very let's say not Christian place, but very spiritual, right? You can just believe whatever you want to believe. And, you know, as long as you're believing something and have faith in something, then, hey, that's going to be awesome. And there were people that were there that like, I thought, man, like their drugs haven't worn off, even though they've been here for months, because they are out there literally worshiping trees. And I wish I was kidding. It broke my heart. And they're, they're like, man, what matters is that we have faith. It doesn't, doesn't matter. You know, I believe this tree is going to heal me. And I'm thinking, that, that tree has no ability to heal you. And, and at first, like, you know, in my sinfulness, I'm like kind of like mocking that in my mind. But then I realized, like, they really believe this. And it broke my heart because the tree had no ability to bring about healing. Right? Like, your faith, yeah, you need faith in Jesus, but it's the object of your faith that matters greatly. Like, imagine we are, I don't know, let's go on a cruise, right? Where do you want to go? I don't care. Let's go to the Bahamas, right? That seems like everywhere to go. And we go on this cruise, and while we're hanging out, like, my buddy Dan, he just, like, pushes me overboard. Not very nice of Dan. And, and I'm like, I'm drowning. I'm dying down there. And let's say, man, I don't even have faith in Jesus. I'm just some lost dude. And I'm like, hey, Dan, just throw me something. Throw me anything. Like, just look around you. Pick something up. Throw it to me, buddy. And he's like, he doesn't really like me. So like, he's like, okay. And he's like, grabs a bowling ball. And he just like chucks it at me. And I grab a hold of it, right? Because I got faith. I got faith. I got faith that I'm going to the bottom of the ocean. I mean, do you see that, like, I could have faith in that, and I, I trust it so much I'm going to grab it, but it's not going to save me. Matter of fact, faith in that was so futile that it would kill me. 
No, what I need is I need a life ring. And then i got to have enough trust to grab a hold of it. And this is exactly what happens with this woman. She has faith, but she has faith in an object, or should we say in God, to bring about the healing. Her faith could only heal because of the object of her faith. Right? She was healed because she had faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who's all-powerful, who, who knit this woman in her mother's womb. So it's nothing for her to be healed, right? Because he says, daughter, oh, I'd love to heal you, right? Like Jesus wanted her to understand when he said, who touched me? Because he wants her to know. So she, look, what, look what it says. She comes in trembling, in fear, and she falls down before him, and she spills her guts. She tells him everything, right? His response is full of love. It's full of compassion. Look what he says. He says, daughter. You know, I, I don't think anywhere else in the scriptures does it say that Jesus referred to another woman as daughter, right? Like, I love the compassion here. He tells her, listen, your faith in me, oh, it's made you well. Therefore, be healed. Go in peace. And she does. I mean, this is the beauty of Christ. I love how he responds to her. This woman has had a very difficult 12 years, no doubt. I mean, she's lonely. She's discouraged. She's filled with shame. She just wants to be well. There's nothing wrong in that. But Jesus wants her to have so much more. My guess is that she had, like, she's not had much human interaction in her 12 years, right? She probably feels very hopeless. She just wanted to be healed. And Jesus gives her so much more. He heals her and he tenderly looks at her. He says, daughter, right? He gives her compassion, right? Like many people need healing, but you and I really, we have no ability to bring healing, but we have an ability to bring compassion. This world needs compassion. We need to mirror our Savior here. She found herself loved. She found herself accepted no matter what, even when she found herself exposed. She's exposed. I mean, the, the act is up. She told him everything, and what was she met with? She was met with grace. It's the best thing to come to the light. It's the best thing to just lay it all out there and to be met with grace, to be met with love, to be met with compassion, to be met with a smile from our Savior and not a scorned look. Like, how dare you touch me, woman? No, we have a, we have a compassionate Savior. This is our second fill in the blank. Jesus is all-powerful, and he will always have compassion on those who have faith in him. You can trust that. But you know what? This beautiful moment, it is short-lived because they are interrupted by a messenger of bad news. Let's pick it back up in verse 35. It says, while he was still speaking, so Jesus is still talking to this lady, there came from the ruler's house someone who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Right? Like, whew, you feel it? You feel the weight of that? Right? Like one person's dreams coming true is another person's nightmare. Jairus just is having a nightmare right now. And, and it appears that Jesus' compassion towards this woman of taking the time to stop may have been the thing that caused this young lady to cost her life. But, but Jesus in him is life, and he knows that. But Jairus doesn't know that. I mean, Jairus has faith in Jesus to come and lay hands and bring healing, 
But we're going to see if he has faith to trust that Jesus can do even more once she's dead. So, so let's pick it back up in 36. But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, listen to this. He said, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John the brother of James, right? Like Jesus was not daunted by this report. He says, hey, Jairus, don't fear, right? Sound familiar? He said the same thing to his disciples. He says, but, but only believe. Trust me is what he's saying. You may need to hear that. I need to hear that all the time. Scott, do not be afraid. Trust me. Just believe. Keep fighting the good fight of faith. You know I'm going to do this because I'm a God of my word. Like, this seems like mission impossible, though, to me, right? Like, I just see the little thing going, it's ready to go, boom, right? I'm, he, I totally would get if this man would just, like, tap out, like, get in the fetal position and just weep, throw himself on the ground and cry, but Jesus will not have it. He calls this man to further trust him, to do what is seemingly impossible. Jesus calls us to do the same thing many times in life. Maybe not this crazy, but you never know. But like, he calls us to trust him in our darkest hours, in our darkest moments. Jesus calls us to trust him not only when life is easy and everything seems to be just going awesome in the way that it should according to us, but also when everywhere you look, it seems as though your life is being torn apart at the seams. He calls us to not fear, but to trust him him. Just believe, right? Just continue to believe, which is the next fill in the blank. Jesus calls us to come to him in faith when we are overwhelmed by fear and to know that he will respond by helping us. He will, right? Like this kind of faith makes zero sense to the world that is looking on, as you're going to see in just one moment. So picking it back up in verse 38. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue. And Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? This child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. <laughs> They finally reach the house, right? And, and what do they see? They are met with this crazy commotion, this, this people, this crowd. And, and actually, in that time, it would have not been a, a strange thing for people to hire professional mourners, right? It had been very common in that time. Even the poorest of poor, it was said that they should at least get two people to play the flute and one to like just cry and lament and sing, right? And I thought, that's interesting, but you know what? We like we hire DJs for weddings, right? They come in and they do all the thing. The same thing's happening here is, is, is my guess. And, and that's what we see because they, they just all of a sudden start laughing. If you're really weeping and crying about a 12-year-old who's dying, when someone comes in, even if they crack what you think is a, a not, a, not a good joke, you're not just going to start laughing. But that's what we see here. The crowd had this professional band of mourners. Right? And it included like people who would weep and wail and tear their clothes. And Jesus, who is always perfectly in control, walks right into the chaos and commands the mourners to knock it off. Why? Because she's just taking a nap. Now they know 
They know. Nobody calls these guys in when you're just taking a nap, right? Like, oh, she's just, you know, laying down for a few hours. You're not calling the band to come in and play the funeral music. No. But then he asks this audacious question and makes an even greater claim. He says, why are you making a commotion and weeping? Seems pretty obvious, Jesus, right? He says, the child's not dead, but sleeping. That's a wild claim to make to these people who, who, by the way, they are accustomed to being around dead people. Like what, what would this look like today? Imagine if you're at the funeral home, like Jesus walks in and, and he's asking, why is everybody crying? What's, what's the big fuss? It, and you're like, it seems pretty obvious, Jesus, like, right? Like this person's dead and we love them. And then he says, no, they're not dead. Just taking a nap, right? Like you're going to think, this guy's like a few fries short of a Happy Meal. But then he says, go ahead, get up. And and the person gets up. You're going to be like totally freaked out, right? And that's exactly what happens here, right? Like there's a major difference. And these people know there's a major difference between someone who's taking a nap and someone who's dead. The mourner, right? The, The coroner, they would figure it out. They would know, and this girl is dead. Don't make a mistake in thinking maybe she was just taking a nap, or, or you know, maybe she's just not really feeling well, and like she passed out. No, she was really dead, which is why they laugh at him. They laugh at him. See, these fools are mocking Jesus, and, he, and he's preparing to do the seemingly impossible, and he does. Let's look. Verse 41. He says, taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumai, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. My kind of guy. Right? Like, I mean, this is awesome. Jesus, who is the Lord of life, commands this little girl to arise. Essentially, he's like, you know, honey, it's time to get up from your nap. It's time to get up from your nap and live. And live. I mean, what? This is wild. This is such a good reminder that Jesus' words have real power to bring life where it does not exist. And I'm thinking gospel here, right? Like, there are people who are spiritually dead. And, and you preach the good news of Jesus Christ to them, and the Holy Spirit shows up in power, and they go from dead in their sins to made alive, to born again. That's real power. That's real power. This is why we should be unashamed of the gospel. This is only something that God can do, and that's the point. Like, that's the whole point of this, this section of text. These people are trusting him in faith. Listen, after January, you're going to see when we pick it up back in, in chapter 6 that it's met with unbelief. But what we see here is people trusting God's word. And we've got to be like that. God, help us to be a people like that. As soon as these words leave the lips of Jesus, this girl gets up from the dead and begins just walking around, and everybody's flipping out in amazement, and Jesus tells them to make her a sandwich. That's, that's wild. Like, why? Why the sandwich? Right? Like, I don't know if it was a sandwich. It doesn't say a sandwich. Make her something to eat. I'm sure it wasn't a sandwich. But, like, imagine this moment. Imagine it. Right? They went from weeping to rejoicing. They went from mourning 
to celebrating. This girl went from dead to alive. All by the word, all by the power of Jesus Christ to bring her back to life. This is a picture of what Jesus will do for all who believe in him for their salvation. Do you get it? It's just a shadow. It's a picture. Jesus displays that he has the authority over disease. But I don't think we're shocked by that. I know the disciples aren't shocked by that. They've seen him do that before. Oh, yeah, woman with a blood disease, 12 years, nothing for Jesus. Nothing for Jesus, right? Oh, she's dead? She's dead. Jesus said, get up. She gets up. The disciples have not seen anything like this. And she gets up. Imagine what they're thinking, right? Like, this is really good news that each one of us need. Because you and I eventually are going to die. You're going to die. Right? Like, oh, that seems a little unhappy, Pastor Scott. We're right between Christmas and the New Year. Can we do a little jingle? No, you're going to die. You're going to die. And you need to think about that. We are all heading towards the grave. Right? We're, we're, You and I are one phone call away from our lives changing in a horrific way that we do not even want to imagine. Because sickness is the great equalizer and it will eventually lead to your death because of sin and because of the fallenness of man. Contrary to popular belief, like thinking that death is like some natural part of life, right? That sounds nice, but it's not true. It's actually the enemy of life, right? Just think about it, right? Like death is a natural part of death. It's not part of life. It's the opposite of life. It's the penalty for human sin. And death is no respecter of person. It doesn't care if you're rich. It doesn't care if you're poor. It does not care if you're in shape or out of shape. If you're fat or skinny, a vegan or a carnivore, it doesn't care. You can do whatever you want. You can exercise in the latest like fad diet. You can do whatever it is that you can just melt the pounds away. And at the end of the day, like you can even like go home and bathe in essential oils while wearing magical crystals, while listening to like Yanni or something for all I care. And can I just tell you something? You can do all the self-care you possibly want. You can do this care. You can do that care. And death does not care. It's coming for you. Your life is like a mist. It's here today. It's gone tomorrow. You don't get to decide Because we have one who is the author of life and death. Think about these two women in our story today. I mean, think about them. Like like one for 12 years has been suffering with like some hemorrhage, internal bleeding. The other has only been alive for 12 years. One comes from like... A family of influence. Her daddy is caring for the synagogue. He's well known throughout the community. The other, we don't know much about her, but but we do know that she's helpless. She's like poor. She's broke. She's an outcast. No one's coming near. No one's touching her. And, And what we see here is we see this contrast that death doesn't care. It doesn't. Like, understand this, that even though, like Jairus's daughter was raised from the dead, she's eventually going to die again. Why? Because the sting of death was not truly solved with her resurrection. Oh, but it is with Jesus' resurrection. Like, that's the good news, right? Like, that's the good news, that Jesus got up from death. 
He resurrected himself to never die again. Like, like get this, right? Because like death is coming for you, but oh, I've got good news for you. Look with me at 1 Thessalonians 4.14. It says, for since, like it's the church, since we believe, the Christian believes that Jesus died. Pause, right? Like, like when we say we have faith in Jesus, what we're saying is we believe that Jesus lived the perfect life that you and I could never live. That we're sinners. That like right out the gate, we're born in Adam. We're born broken. But Jesus, that's not the case. No, and so Jesus goes to the cross and he dies in our place. He dies a substitutionary atonement. He dies a death that we deserve to die. Jesus did not deserve to die. But for the joy that was set before him, he went and endured the cross for the sake of ungodly sinners like you and I. And he takes on the wrath of God in our place and he dies physically. But because he had no sin, he rose victoriously from the grave. That's what it says. And he rose again. So we believe that. We believe that Jesus died. We believe that Jesus rose again. And so, even so, that through Jesus, if I'm in him, I'm in him in his death, but I'm in him in his resurrection. And so, therefore, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. That's awesome. Like, that's really good news that Jesus overcame death through his resurrection. He defeated Satan. He defeated sin. Yes, those are true statements. But he defeated our greatest enemy, which is death. He defeated it once and for all. And those who trust in Jesus, like, you and I are never going to have to truly die. That's awesome. Like, Jesus is coming back to this earth. Know that. He is. And he's going to come in power and great glory And when he does, all of humanity will be raised from the dead, never to die again. Some will be raised to eternal life. That's the ones who are trusting in Jesus Christ. They have faith in him. They have faith in his life. They have faith in his death. They have faith in his resurrection. We are trusting in the good news of Jesus. We're trusting you, Christ, right? Like, you'll never die again, but there will be others that will be raised into an eternal death where they will want to die, but they will remain forever in a real place that is eternal that is called hell, where the wrath and fury of God is poured out day and night, and they will grind their teeth, and they will want to die, and they will not be able to. If if that's you, Oh, don't go to your deathbed in your sins. Don't. Because we have a merciful God. This is a time of pardon. And he extends mercy and grace to all who will come and receive. Will you receive Christ for your salvation? I pray you do. And, and I hope that if, if like you're working through that, you'll talk to your campus pastor at the place you're worshiping today. But believers, Christians, listen, you will be raised from the dead and you will shine like the sun in the kingdom of your father. Oh, so good to know and to think about. I mean, it's comforting to know that death is not the end for those who believe. It's not. Like, we will live for an eternity in the presence of Almighty God, enjoying Him, delighting in Him. And there will be no more weeping in that place. There is going to be a glorious resurrection for you. Right? Why? Because Christ has done it. 
The one who raised Jairus' daughter from the dead has victoriously resurrected himself from the grave and he has promised to resurrect you from the grave. Do you believe him? Do you believe that God's power is greater even than death? Oh, I pray that you do, right? The disciples, man, imagine what's going through their mind right now. This is way better than fishing. It's like way better. This is way better than tax collecting. Jesus, I'm glad you called us to follow you. This is awesome, right? Like the disciples would know that nothing and no one could ever ultimately be lost when God acted to restore, when God acted to rescue, when God acted to ultimately resurrect. I mean, this this had to be like a shot of like strength to their spine of faith, and they're going to need it. They're going to need it as we continue through the book of Mark. You and I need it. We need to be reminded of this good news. We need to be reminded that this is not where it all is. Like, i got to live today because tomorrow I die and it's all said and done. No, we need to be reminded that this life, whether it's good or whether bad, it's really just it's a momentary affliction that is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory that is yet to be revealed at Jesus' second coming. So if you're like, my life's not turning out the way that I want to, can I just tell you something? It's just a blip on the radar. And then comes eternity. Eternity. With God, you have a glorified body, not one that's broken down. Some of you are thinking, like, mine's not broken down. Like, you need to check me out. I've been doing P90X and bathing in the essential oils, just like you mocked. But look at me now, bro. Can I just tell you, eventually, if you live long enough, it's going to get old, it's going to get weak, and you're going to die. But if you're in Christ, oh, man, it's going to be way better than whatever essential oils could do. By the way, I'm not, I am kind of poking fun at essential oils. But can I just tell you something? My wife has some of that Hobbit juice in our house. It's cool. Right? But like, but like, I want you to think about this. How do you scare the disciples when they've just seen Jesus resurrect this girl from the grave? Like, how do you scare them? I don't, I don't think you can. And yet, they, they'll be afraid again, right? Like, how do you scare us? Well, I mean, we're pretty easily scared. But can I just encourage you and can I exhort you and myself, because it's not like I've arrived, like to be bold in your living, to be bold in your living for the sake of the gospel, to not be afraid. Why? What can this world do to you? Like if, if God gave his son for your salvation, how would he not give you all things that pertain to life? Question, answer. He'd give you anything if he gave his son for you. And he's promised to resurrect you. And so like, let this truth, like let it fuel you. Let it ignite our lives for gospel proclamation to this world. Let us selflessly open our homes in hospitality to the world around us. Like, let that, like as you're thinking about the new year, the new decade, 2020, I've heard so many jokes about it, right? Like, but like, let this shape it. Let this shape it. Let the fact that you will not ultimately die. You will go from this life to the next life and your faith will become sight when you see Jesus face to face. Like, like let that shape you, right? Like, what, what is God calling you to trust in him more and more deeply in the new year? Like, like hear what he's saying here, right? Like, do not fear. 
right? Only believe. What's he calling you to trust him in? Someone's salvation? Someone that you love? To, to really come to faith. Like Jesus does the impossible. That's what we're seeing here over and over and over. Do you believe him? Like I'm not asking, do you believe he did this during that time? But do you believe he could do that now for you? Do you believe that? Because that's what faith is. It's, it's not just saying, I believe that he did that some 2,000 years ago. That's, that's not faith. It's really not. It's believing that God is right now and that he can do amazing things in your life and for his glory and for the good of those around you. Do you trust him? That's my question for you. Like, whose salvation are you praying for? Keep praying. Keep praying. Like, what miracle of grace do you need to have happen in your life and in the relationships with people that you know and love that might be just not well? Right? Like, oh man, I just wish that like, God would restore this relationship. Right? Like, trust Him. Don't fear. Don't fear. Right? But believe. Only believe. And, I mean, now think about this. If you and I can trust Jesus for our salvation, what else is there that would be bigger than that? Like, I trust Jesus to save my soul. I just don't know that he cares about my relationships with my friends that are, that are broken. I just don't know that he cares about my friend who's getting saved, you know. I just don't think he really cares about that. But, I mean, I, I trust him with my soul. That's just silliness. That's just silliness. Like, if you can trust that Jesus died in your place, that he resurrected from the grave, and that one day he's coming back and he's going to resurrect you from the grave, what else could you not trust him with is what I want to know. Oh, fight the good fight of faith. It's called a fight because it's hard, right? There's so many things in this world that's just like, like eating away and eroding at your faith to cause you to not trust. And this is why you need to be in the Word of God. We started off 2019 with a call and an encouragement to the church to be in your Bibles and to read it from start to finish. I'm not going to ask you, if you did that. If you started out to do that, I hope you completed it. Why did we do that though? So that you'd like get an extra little gold star on your sticker chart in heaven and like Jesus, like, you know, he fist bump you when you get there. No, because we know that your faith will remain super small. And by the way, that's all it takes though. I mean, that's what I love. It just requires a little thin strand of faith, small as a mustard seed. But we want it to grow. And for it to grow, it's got to exercise. But in order for it to grow, you have to be able to know the one you say you're trusting. And you can't know him, not truly, apart from his word. And so what are you going to do this year? Like, like you got to get to know him. You're like, I already know him. Man, you, can, you think you know all-knowing, infinite, glorious God to his fullest? Mm, no. Can I tell you something? Like when we're in glory in a trillion years, like if like we're going to be like, I had no clue. He is amazing. You'll never exhaust this fountain of living water. Every day, if there is such a thing as a day, we are going to wake up if we even go to sleep. I don't even know if that's a thing. And we're going to like, praise God. I didn't know that about him. He is infinitely greater than you can imagine. Keep getting to know him. Don't fear. Just continue to believe. Continue to trust him. No matter what you're facing in this new year, you can know that your God's for you. You can know that he loves you. You can know that he's with you. And he has real power to do something about it. So trust him. Trust him. Because he loves you. 
And he proved that on the cross. You can trust him. He's a good and glorious God. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.